The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue View Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how are you doing today? A uh, little hot, a little sweaty, but otherwise pretty good. Yeah, it is warm. It has been raining and storming here. Hopefully there will be some brighter weather. What will brighten up the day soon is football. We'll be here very soon. There's already some teams that have seen rookies report to training camp. Uh, there's some veterans that are becoming soon. The Giants will be kicking off next week. And with that, we are going to dive right into a training camp preview. So for what we're going to do over the, our next two episodes, we're going to take a look at the offense, take a look at the defense. And instead of going really player by player and, and looking at you know what we can expect from these players, we're going to go over each group of like what our biggest question is for that positional group as we head into training camp and through the preseason and then into the regular season. These are kind of going to be overarching questions. So we're going to have one big question for each group and then that's how we're kind of going going to discuss each positional group as we preview what to look for during training camp. So are you ready to get going, Chris? Yeah, let's get to it. Let's get to it. All right. So obviously, if we're going to start with the offense, we have to start at quarterback. Eli Manning has been the quarterback for a very long time. For the first time in a very long time, there is actual competition. Whether, you know, competition is is a loaded word, whether there's an open competition there or not, but the Giants selected Daniel Jones, six overall, likely the quarterback of the future. That is the plan. So I think the question we can get to here in the overarching question of the quarterback position heading throughout the offseason and into the season is can Eli Manning hold off Daniel Jones? And I think that's a layered question. One is, you know, Daniel Jones just going to be better than Eli Manning in training camp, and if that's the case, is it going to be apparent that if that is the case, if Jones should just start the season, or if it's it's kind of neck and neck and the Giants just aren't overall good as we look into the preseason and into, you know, this start of the regular season, is there going to be a pressure to put Jones in? So I think the, the just the overarching question of can Eli Manning hold off Daniel Jones for whatever period of time that could possibly be, I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to see in starting with training camp. Yeah, you know, I... 
I think if we leave aside, leave aside the possibility that Jones will just from the jump be better than Eli, I think we'll probably come down to can Eli give the Giants a chance to win? You know, can he play efficiently enough that the Giants are in games, winning games, or if they're not winning games, then keeping them close enough that the team can at least look at it and say, we are close. We are, you know, maybe the offensive line clicking a little bit better away from winning or this completely rebuilt secondary, you know, they're, they're just, you know, one big play away from kind of coming together and being able to close out games. Yeah. I think if Eli can keep them in that spot, he will stay on the field. Cause I don't think we'll have a Kurt Warner situation where, you know, even if the team is winning, they'll pull him to give the kid a chance because, you know, Eli isn't Kurt Warner. Warner obviously still had good football left in him, but he just did not have the kind of relationship with the team that Eli has built over the last decade and a half. Right, and that's been part of what's been going on with Eli Manning for the past couple of years, and there's not a lot of ways to sugarcoat it, and obviously we have not on this podcast. Eli Manning has not been good for a number of years. There are some numbers and some plays where you can point out where you can say, look, he's he still has something left, and sure— there there are limited pieces of that, but in the overall grand scheme, Manning has not really been good since 2015. Even in that 2016 season when the Giants went 11-5, went to the playoffs, Eli was not very good in that year either. When you look, yards per attempt was just under a league average. Completion percentage was just under a league average. Um, the, one of the things he's been good at throughout his career is avoiding sacks, and that completely plummeted in 2018. So maybe with an offensive line, that'll help. But the overall thing is, and this isn't totally a knock on Eli Manning, right? He's 38 years old now. It's okay to not be playing your best football at 38 years old. He's won two Super Bowls. Eli Manning was a very successful quarterback. That does not mean he's going to continue to be a very successful quarterback, and that does not mean he shouldn't be moved on from when the time comes. And we can argue when that time is going to be. We can argue that time might have, should have been a couple years ago. But like you said, if Eli is still playing, let's look at maybe what he played at the start of the season last year. And maybe a couple of those close games turns into Giants wins. But if they're you know around 500, maybe like a game or two below, is it worth keeping Eli Manning in? I think that's another part of this question. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing this in training camp. And there's going to be such a microscope on this. Uh, you're going to be sick of probably the beat writers giving play-by-play of every throw and, and try to not take too much I try to not look too much into that because throw by throw looks at training camp are not going to be you know the greatest indication of who is doing what but the overall play the how how they're progressing I think when we look at training camp there's going to be a big question of of how much this dynamic is going to start shifting yeah definitely you know just what you said about the throw by throw a year ago going by the throw-by-throw from, you know, OTAs on, it sounded like Davis Webb was the Giants' 
best quarterback and he got cut. So I suppose at this point we could still argue whether or not keeping Kyle Lawletta over him or not keeping both of them was the correct move or not, but that's also completely ap- academic and has absolutely nothing to do with where we are. But just to your point, the 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 real granular details are that's just noise. Yeah, and this is going to be a question that continues to go into the regular season. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe past that. If you know Eli plays the entire season, I don't know if that is unrealistic that it happens. But I think we will start to see how that will shape up once we start getting into training camp, and especially once the preseason starts. So that is, I think, the the big question for a quarterback that we can look at as as we start to see the team start to take the field. So let's move on to the position right in front of them and possibly the position that is going to matter more for how these quarterbacks play at least that's what we've been told that the offensive line needs to improve and part of why quarterback play was not great was because offensive line play was not great and we've seen a lot of moves made on the offensive line and I think the question here that we're going to look at is is the offensive line actually better well I think that's kind of a two-part question. Yeah. The offensive line, just based on the amount of resources they have poured into it over the last well, 18 months or so, should be better. It should be one of the top units in the NFL just based on, you know, they made their left tackle the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. They drafted a guard second overall. They passed on two proven starting centers, Weston Richburg and Brett Jones for John Jalapio. They signed Patrick Omame to a big deal. They traded their only proven pass rusher for Kevin Zeitler. And then they just invested in free agent Mike Remmers again. So just with all of that, this offensive line should be improved. Now, whether or not it is, I think the interior will be improved just because of Will Hernandez having another year and just getting better and the natural progression of a good young player. And then adding Kevin Zeitler, who is one of the best guards in the NFL. The other three spots, I I do have my questions. I do wonder whether or not John Jalapio has the quickness to be a consistently effective center. And I wonder if this is the year that Nate Solder begins to backslide because yeah, he's 31. He's coming up on 32. He's had some lower body injuries. And yeah, like Brandon Thorne told us, he's only ever really been in that third tier of offensive tackles where he's good enough against okay competition, but he can be exposed by higher levels of competition his biggest contributions might be in the locker room. And then Mike Remmers, yeah, he's been dealing with a back injury and you, know, you just don't know what to expect from an offensive lineman who has had that kind of injury. Right. There's, there's a bunch of individual questions going off the line that go into that one big question of, is the offensive line improved? The thing is, when we're going to look at this line, and I think we 
basically know who the starters are going to be. I don't think there's going to be a lot of competition there. We know we know the left side of the line is locked down. That's going to be Nate Solder. It's going to be Will Hernandez. At center, it looks like it's going to be John Jalapio. They're pretty high on Jalapio. Um, but you know, Spencer Pulley was fine, probably a little below average when he was put in, but it's probably Jalapio's job. We know right guard, obviously, is going to be Kevin Zeitler. And the right tackle... It should be Mike Remmers. That appears to be what the case is, but there's always the possibility of Chad Wheeler. I think if it's Chad Wheeler, that's probably an issue if Mike Remmers can't beat him out because we have seen what Chad Wheeler looks like. And I think that's part of what goes into this question is, is there going to be a weak link on this Giants line? Because... And I think this is also something we discussed with Brandon a little bit is when you're kind of building out a line, you kind of want everyone to be at least adequate. It's better to be adequate across the line than have a star at one place and a really bad player at another. And we kind of saw that a little bit. The Giants didn't have that star last year, but they had a very clear weak link. And that really derailed the offensive line more often than not. There were mistakes all over, but we saw one big weak link. We saw it in the beginning with Eric Flowers. It didn't get much better with Chad Wheeler. And that's part of the reason. And when you look at ESPN's pass block win rate, the Giants were 27th. And part of that was when you have one weak link that is allowing pressure early, that derails everything else. So is the weak link gone? And can they just even be adequate? And that's probably going to be a big step up and can potentially improve the offensive line by just being okay. They don't have to be great. They potentially got great with Zeitler. They don't need Solder to be great. Hernandez is definitely improving. Um, I think what they need to do is make sure center is okay and make sure right tackle is okay. And if those two positions are going to be, then they might be set up to do pretty well. But if one of those is real iffy and it still looks like that's a weak link, then that's going to be a problem regardless of what the other four positions do. Yeah, they really do need to avoid having that one weak link who can just let pressure leak through, let defenders into the backfield to disrupt the running plays, to force quarterbacks to hurry, you know, force them off their spot, throw off the timing, just nothing good happens and like you said it is just it is just plain better to be average across the board than to have one or two guys who are great and then one or hopefully not two who are terrible yeah and that was the case last year the Giants obviously improved at some positions but we'll have to see if they just improved to at least passable at the positions they were really bad at last year and that's going to be the key to the offensive line moving forward and we're going to see that a lot in in training camp and a lot of that is going to be health also oh Nate Soldier coming off of uh, surgery he's still recovering he did not participate in minicamp Mike Remmers as you mentioned, coming off a back injury, he did not participate in minicamp. So we'll see how much they are able to participate in training camp. So, I mean, still, even as training camp opens, it's going to be the end of July and August to long way till September when the season opens. Uh, but that is also going to be something to monitor, and that's going to play a part into whether the offensive line is better. Because also, as much as moves have been made to make the starting offensive line better, 
there's not a lot of depth behind it. So if there's one loss of any of these players, that entire offensive line shifts and that weak link is very apparent with whoever has to fill in because there's not a lot of depth behind that starting offensive line. And if you're expecting all five guys to start 16 games, that's probably not going to happen. So that's going to play a key part in this too. Yeah, the the Giants could go from being okay to having that weak link. And they had just, you know, light some candles, say some prayers, maybe get a priest to do an exorcism of their facility, just do whatever they can to make sure that if they have an injury, it is not Will Hernandez or Kevin Zeitler. Because if one of their great players goes down, then things get scary fast. Yeah, and those are the two guys who are coming into the season healthy. And both tackles will you know, at least start in the offseason coming off surgery. So that is where the concern is. So health is going to be just as big of an issue as the actual play on the field because there's just there's not a lot behind them and that should be a big concern for as much as the offensive line looks improved on paper the starting five is definitely much better than it was at this time last year but behind them and there's there's not a lot so if any of those guys go down uh it's it might look like last year anyway which is is going to be something to monitor So let's move on to the next position where really the biggest change was. No more Odell Beckham at wide receiver, but in comes Golden Tate. So a lot of what is behind Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, a lot of the same uh, group that was there last year. The Benny Fowlers, the Corey Coleman's, the Cody Latimer's, uh, the Russell Shepard's. You know, there, there are a couple new players. There's the fifth-round pick, Darius Slayton. Alex Wesley, who was a undrafted free agent. Reggie White Jr., undrafted free agent. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, there's still not a lot behind those two good starting wide receivers. Uh, but it's still questions after that. Uh, we know what Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate can do. Both of them are very good in the short to intermediate level of the field. What is going to be my question is, is there anyone on this roster who is going to be able to consistently win down the field? And I think that's how that that's how the passing game is going to be able to move. Right now, we see this offense is probably going to be built a lot around yards after the catch, and it's going to be short throws and putting a lot on the Tates, the Shepherds, and Evan Ingram when we get there to run after the catch. And I, I did a post early in in the offseason, I think after Golden Tate was signed, of can an offense just work on strictly yards after the catch? And it doesn't automatically make you a bad offense if you're going to be reliant on yards after the catch, but it also lowers the ceiling quite a bit. Uh, And it also brings me to a piece of the forward I wrote for Warren Sharp's the football preview book in 2019, where I was just looking at things offenses can do to kind of move forward. And one of the really interesting things I found is because of how many passes are thrown within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So last season, 70.6% of NFL passes were thrown within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, but nearly 200% of the league's passing value by expected points added happened 11 yards or further downfield. So NFL teams totaled 
negative 897.7 expected points added on throws within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Only nine teams had positive EPA on passes that went within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So that means a lot of the passing value, a lot of your expected value happens on these deep throws that happen further in the deep intermediate and in deep passes. If you're living in the the 5 to 10 yard range, and this is where the ball travels, um, so not like a 10 yard pass, a, a pass that travels 10 yards in the air. Uh, when you're living in that area, it's real hit or miss. Um, and if you can't execute on some downfield passes and the wide receivers aren't getting there or the quarterback can't get there, then you're severely limiting the upside you have as an offense. And I think that is my biggest question now that I've ranted for a very long time. That comes back to my biggest question of this wide receiver group is if anyone is going to consistently be able to win or even ask to win downfield. Yeah. And just about your point about going the value of going downfield and how difficult it is to consistently field a decent offense in the short range Giants fans saw for years how inconsistent and unreliable the Odell Beckham on a slant and a prayer offense was because then you're at either asking an offense to sustain drives over a long period of time and try to just beat a defense with that, you know, death by a thousand cuts, or you're asking your receivers to, beat a lot of guys to turn a short pass into a long game. And that's just not the way you win consistently. My question with with the wide receiver core is that from a little bit different angle, I just want to know what the depth chart is going to look like behind Sterling Shepard, even leaving Golden Tate aside. Because like you said, I, I'm looking to see who can win down the field but I'm also looking to see if last year was a fluke for Golden Tate. You know, his raw numbers, you know, his, his box score numbers were okay. You know, maybe off his normal mark by a little bit, but not bad. But Football Outsiders had him ranked as the second worst receiver in the entire NFL and had him for well over 100 yards below a replacement level player. And I believe his DVOA was for, for the season was terrible as well. And it started out bad before with the Lions. I believe he had something like a negative 22 DVOA before he was traded. And then it got worse from there. Yeah. So I want to know from him, was that just a bad year? Was that a fluke? Were just things not going right? Or was that like Brandon Marshall's 2016, where he had been great up until then, and then all of a sudden he just fell off a cliff and was basically done as a receiver? For the Giants' sake, and for Tate's as well, I, I sincerely hope that this was that was just a fluke. He'll be able to rebound and be a productive number two or number three receiver. But you, know, you do have to recognize his age. You do have to recognize the fact that he's been in the NFL for 10 years. Is he set to fall off a cliff just as a player? And also, what will the rest of the depth chart look like behind him? Will Tate wind up being the Giants' third wide receiver? And will they have, say, Cody Latimer or Corey Coleman as 
the number two, the other guy who will be spend most of the time outside across from Sterling Shepard. Will the Giants even, you know, how often will they even field three receivers? Will they play the 12 personnel package on even more of their downs than they did last year? That's what I'm looking forward to seeing camp. Yeah, and a lot of what we can take away, like we said earlier, or when you shouldn't be looking at the things like you know throw by throw and, and the play by play, I think what is going to be telling is is who is being used where, you know, whether that's you know with the first team uh, in what packages and where they are lining up on the field. I think that's going to be very interesting. I think you know a lot of the talk about guys like Shepard and Tate is where they win the most and where their best is from the slot. And not both of them can be in the slot at the same time. But we have mentioned uh, before that that's a little overblown. Both of them are able to play from the outside. I probably expect Shepard to play on the outside a little more. But also what we can look at in training camp is where these guys are getting lined up. Is Shepard going to be on the outside? Um, are we going to find ways to get them both in the slot? Is there going to be a third wide receiver, say that Corey Coleman, who is on the outside more? Is there just going to be board three wide receiver sets? These are all things we can take away from training camp as long as they do you know translate to the regular season because also like we've mentioned before there was a lot of things that happened in last year's training camp that did not translate once the regular season started a lot of a lot of movement a lot of you know advanced things from the tight ends a lot of you know places lining up Saquon Barkley in different places not a lot of that went to the regular season after uh, we were really excited about it in training camp. So we will see. But that's typically something that can be taken away during training camp is where these guys are lining up when they're lining up there. Uh, and that's probably going to be a big part of, of how this wide receiver group shakes out. Yeah, de- uh, definitely. Just there are a lot of questions and it's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be something to see. It's going to it, that's probably the biggest adjustment on this roster. Obviously, things are a lot better uh, and a lot easier when you have someone like Odell Beckham on the field. He's going to, to line out wide, or he can be in the slot. You can move him around all the time. Defenses are going to have to focus on him, and that makes it easier for everyone else on the field. Without him, even with guys like Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, who are good receivers, we have never said they're not. But as a group, obviously, it is now weaker without Odell Beckham. That's objectively true. So I, I don't think you can argue that. But even with two good wide receivers, it's a completely different way of game planning and scheming players open because Odell Beckham is just a rare type of wide receiver. Remember when we talked to Matt Harmon a while ago, uh, it was shortly after the trade where he said oh, when he charts wide receivers, there are few that actually command double coverage or bracketing by defenses and Odell Beckham is one of them so without that now there's just a different way to scheme everyone and and how the routes are going to work in combinations together so that is going to be the biggest adjustment and how the Giants go about that is is going to be a huge piece of what we'll start to see in training camp so Let's go to another set of of what should hopefully be pass catchers, uh, because after what we talked about in the last episode of 
what we'd like to see and possibly the fading out of the blocking tight end role. Let's go to a tight end, and I think just the biggest question is going to be, what is Evan Ingram's usage? This has been a consistent uh, topic on the podcast. It was through the regular season. It's been that way through the offseason as we've looked back on the offense. It's been that way as we've looked forward to the offense. So how is Evan Ingram going to be used? Is he going to be the de facto third wide receiver? Is he going to be that guy on the outside, possibly on some snaps? Um, Is he going to still play more traditional? tight end where he did play well last year is he going to be trusted to block which is something we saw in 2018 Uh, he wasn't asked to do it as much but when he was he was much better at it than he was during his rookie season Uh, is he going to get to run downfield a little more his first two seasons in the NFL are one of the lowest the average depth of target. He gets thrown to very close to the line of scrimmage, and he's one of those guys that gets asked to run after the catch. He's very good at it, but if you maybe throw to him seven yards down the field, even just that, and you get the yards after the catch, that's better than if you're throwing to him three yards past the line of scrimmage and asking for those yards after the catch. So how is Evan Ingram going to be used? I think is the overarching thing for the tight ends because everyone else just kind of uh, falls into... Uh, a backup role. Rhett Ellison's not going to be as important. Scott Simonson's not going to be as important. Uh, even CJ Conrad, uh, he he could be someone who stands out uh, in training camp. He did in the beginning of the rookie mini camp, although uh, his hype, I think, faded a little bit as, as practices continued. And I, th- I think he did get injured, which kind of derailed that a little bit. But I think Evan Ingram's usage is obviously going to be the biggest part of, of what this tight end group produces. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I would not be at all upset if their answer to the question, which receiver will they use to win downfield, if that answer is Evan Ingram. He absolutely should be a downfield threat for the Giants. That's what he was drafted for. If we look back to the 2016 season, the Giants had no answers for zone coverages. And Ingram was drafted with the idea that he can attack the seams. He can tear pages out of defensive playbooks. He can make it so a defense can't even consider playing, you know, like two man or cover three against the giants, but he just has not been used that way. The, like you said, the tendencies with him have been that he's spent most of his time running parallel to the line of scrimmage three maybe five yards down the field and my fear is that that continues my hope is that it doesn't and with the rest of them and personally i think we can lump the h back and fullback positions in with these guys as well i would say that it would be better if they would all be used in a little bit more of a passing capacity just because the giants have so much production that they need to make up now that Beckham is gone and they're going to have to spread the ball around. Yeah, Ellison is not a dangerous tight end, but he is at least a reliable tight end. So have him fill that kind of safety blanket, safety valve role. Uh, Scott Simonson's basically the same guy. The battle between Elijah Penny and Rod Smith could be interesting. Yeah, we did see the Giants use Penny in a receiving capacity last year. He wasn't bad, but he also wasn't terribly impressive. 
Smith does have some upside there. He also has experience as a ball carrier, as a running back. So that could be interesting as well. But just that position group as a whole will depend on how the Giants use Ingram and whether or not they change their tendencies from last year. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of it is how how comfortable they're going to be the passing the ball. Um, I just wrote something this past week about 12 personnel, and we've talked about this so many times. And one of the things I found is, you know, you don't need two great receiving options. You also barely even need one great receiving option at tight end for passing from 12 personnel to be advantageous because... This is one thing, uh, about 25% of all plays in the NFL had a base defense on the field. And we've talked about this also because of passing, because of the rise of 11 personnel and three wide receivers, teams are playing nickel as their most often defense. And that's with an extra defensive back. So only 25% of plays last year had base personnel on the field throughout the week. But from 12 personnel, over half of the pass attempts it was about 55.6% over half of the pass attempts from when teams used 12 personnel had base defense on the field. And that's putting an extra linebacker on the field instead of an extra defensive back. And if you have someone like Evan Ingram, and even if you have someone like Rhett Ellison, those are guys who can beat some of these you know, third linebackers. Because right now, the way the league is, that fifth defensive back is a better football player than most teams' third linebacker. We definitely see that with the Giants, even with as scarce as the secondary was last year. You have someone like you know Grant Haley was the nickelback last year, better than whatever third linebacker the Giants were putting on. So you would still rather have Haley on the field. But when you have 12 personnel, you're most likely getting base defense just because that has so historically been a run personnel package that teams use base, they prepare for the run, and that's where you get an advantage to throw. So if we see that a little more, we see the Giants embrace these tight ends, and maybe at something where if someone like CJ Conrad does break through and the Giants have like Conrad and Ingram on the field at the same time, that that could be something to give you an advantage for throwing in 12 personnel. And that's one place uh, we could see the Giants get an advantage. And maybe we'll see that in training camp. If again, if the Giants are running some, some heavy 12 personnel packages with two tight ends on the field instead of running a lot of 11. And the Giants were second to last in the rate of plays with 11 personnel last year, but it was still 56% of the time. So they were still a majority in 11 personnel, even when they didn't really have three wide receivers. So we'll see if these tight ends can either break through or the Giants just accept that's probably their best path forward of moving the ball on offense. And if you were passing more through 12 personnel, the defense is potentially going to start shifting their mindset and maybe put that extra defensive back back on the field. And then that's when running from 12 becomes advantageous because then you have two big tight ends and you have an extra defensive back instead of a linebacker. That helps in the run because now you're making the defense smaller. So it's kind of this spread to run philosophy without actually having to spread. Uh, and that's just the, the kind of mind game and, and, the, and the chess match you play with defenses. And I think that's something the Giants should look for. And that tight end group is going to be such a big part of it. So let's just move on to the last piece of the offense where uh, I'm not sure if there's a lot of questions. Uh, we know Saquon Barkley is going to be the running back. 
Uh, he's going to be the running back for a good majority of the snaps. And I think my question here is, how much is too much of both Barkley being on the field and the offense just running through the run game, which from all indications is what they want to do this year? Yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about this this morning while I was cooking breakfast. And I was thinking about the kind of impressive disparity in Saquon Barkley's production from when he faced six light six-man boxes against eight-man boxes, heavy boxes. And I was thinking what the Giants should do, because Barkley averaged 6.7 yards against light boxes, six-man boxes, and then 3.9 yards against eight or more man boxes. So that is almost double the production just by taking two guys out of the tackle box. So just for me, what would make sense to me is even if you only run him 15 times a game, you should do whatever you can to only run him against neutral or light box counts. However, I think we, everybody listening to this knows that the Giants are going to run the ball. They're going to want to run the ball regardless of how many defenders are in the tackle box and just count on the fact that they have improved their offensive line enough that the defensive front doesn't matter, which it's not going to work out that way. But I think, I think the Giants should pay close attention to that box count just based on the, on how much more production they got out of Barkley against light fronts and also just to minimize the wear and tear on him, because if he is going to be the engine that powers your offense, you don't want to run him into the ground like, say, the Dallas Cowboys did with DeMarco Murray. Right, and that's I think that's going to be one of the big questions. Um, you know, Football Outsiders, one of the first things they did when they first started many years ago was... Uh, they had their rule of 370, and that was any running back with 370 carries or more uh, in a regular season usually broke down the next season. We're at an era in where even the most run-heavy teams aren't getting close to giving running backs that type of workload. So we're probably not going to see Barkley get close to that, and it, and that is just rushing attempts receptions and pass targets do not take as big a toll on the body as rushing attempts do. That's also something Football Outsiders found. So if you're going to use Barkley a lot, make sure that is right. You're not running him into the stacked box. One, because we know now that running production significantly drops the more defenders who are in the box. Uh, for every defender added, your running game gets worse. It doesn't matter how many blockers you have. You know, that's something uh, we have found out through a, a few analytical studies. And two, if you're running into the box, that's just more defenders to, to fall on Barkley. And obviously not the first defender does not always make the tackle. But when you're deliberately running up the middle into all of those bodies, then that's when the the chance of injury uh, goes up. And now if you're getting him into space through the passing game, you're you're limiting 
that opportunity of just the amount of defenders who can who can grab him, you're giving him a better opportunity to to break tackles. Um, obviously, we want to see him get passes in space beyond the line of scrimmage, not behind <laughs> it like he did last year. But that's that's a different story. So. I think a lot of this is going to be how much of the offense is going to be too much to run through Barkley. Uh, part of you know just running the ball right up the middle, is that going to be too much on him? Is there going to be inefficient uh, play calling because now the Giants think they have to run the ball? So a lot of first down runs, we don't want to see that. First down runs are, are bad for an offense. They usually set yourself back. Are we going to see a lot of second and long runs? That also sets your offense back. I think some other um, some other studies right now have shown by expected points added and expected success rate, we hear a lot of setting up a manageable third down. But by uh, success rate and uh, expected points, a third and one is really the only third down that that shows your first two downs were not in some way a setback. Uh, so third and one is really the only manageable third down. The best way to to have a manageable third down is to not face third downs. But a lot of the Giants' decision-making when they really relied on Barkley was kind of set up to do those early down runs uh, to set up third and manageable. And that's where the offense gets in trouble. So how much is too much Barkley? One, for his health. And two, for keeping the offense moving forward. You can get Barkley the ball throw him the ball more, but do not continue to try to pound him up the middle. That's that's not going to be for anyone's benefit. Yeah, and I would just add, I'm not exactly sure that the way the Giants threw him the ball last year was all that much different from running him into a stacked box because you know, he was just throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage so often that it, it might have it might as well just have been an outside run. I don't know what we have to do to get the Giants to throw some wheel routes, throw some angle routes, move him into the slot, but that's what they need to do, at least with regards to Saquon Barkley in the passing game. Right, and and but even even those passes w- were better because they take less of a toll on the body. They they did get him into space more technically, um, but yeah, you want to see those type of receptions improve. And the Giants can still use Barkley. He is a great receiver. Uh, use him more effectively in the passing game, and and that is going to help. So if we taking this back to training camp now. Hopefully we see, like we did last training camp, of Barkley getting moved into the slot, uh, getting thrown the ball past the line of scrimmage, maybe lining up outside a little more, and hoping that translates into the regular season. Now, if we don't see that at all during training camp, that is going to be a huge red flag. At least we saw it in training camp last year, even though it didn't happen in the regular season as often as we would have liked. Um, if we if we do see that in training camp, there's at least that hope that they've thought about this and that is something they are hoping to to bring forward. And I think that's that's going to be a big piece of of what Barkley is, how he can contribute positively, and how that running back group is going to to shake up. Yeah, and behind Barkley, I I think there will be kind of an interesting battle between Wayne Gallman and Paul Perkins. I, I think Paul Perkins has kind of been forgotten, but he the, those two guys do have an interesting contrast in skill sets and just how many running backs the Giants keep and 
how many see the field during the course of a game is going to be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, they'll all see the field during preseason. So we won't be able to get a feel for exactly how much of a load they take off of Barkley and maybe shift to the backups. But we might get to see some two-back sets or maybe see some jockeying for position up and down the depth chart. Yeah, that too. And and both uh, Gallman and Perkins have been successful runners to to a point. Both of them have the ability to catch the ball. So I think obviously neither one or as individually skilled as Barkley, but you can still do some of the same stuff with them that you could with Barkley. You can still line them up in the slot and so forth. So, so you're not, you don't have to completely, you know, change uh, the game plan at all if you're putting those guys in. So we'll, we will see how, um, how, how that battle comes out. And like you said, how many running backs they're going to keep on the roster, whether they keep Gallman and Perkins, uh, you know, Rod Smith is there. We talked about Elijah Penny. They they probably don't need a fullback, especially if they have someone like Smith who can be a running back, who can be, you know, type of an H-back and, and is a little more versatile than someone like Penny is. You know, that would be my preference. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Are they going to keep four running backs? That, that's a lot to keep. So I think that is definitely going to be one of the questions and some of the depth behind Saquon Barkley. Um, if all goes to plan, the Giants aren't really going to need that depth because uh, Barkley is going to be on the field a lot. So we will we will see how that plays out and and what the Giants are, are looking for as as they look at, at running back there. Yeah, so that's what we're going to see uh, at running back, and that the depth there is obviously going to be a concern if Barkley goes down. That that's a huge concern, uh, either way, especially because probably of how the Giants are going to, how how the Giants think they're going to need to run the offense through Barkley, uh, even though. Probably with Gallman or Perkins and an improved offensive line, it might not be as much of a drop-off as as you would expect. Uh, so that is going to be a big question there uh, that we'll see play out. So that is all the positions. We will be back to preview uh, the defense as the rookies report on Monday. The veterans come in on Wednesday. So uh, we will have uh, the, the full preview up by then. So... You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. Helps the show be found as as we start kicking up the football content. It it's coming. We got through we got through a summer. Uh, with not a lot to talk about. Now we're finally getting there. Uh, you can follow our work on BigBlueView.com. You can follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. You can follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.